You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. We're going to consider the structure of God's Word, the Bible. In particular, we're going to ask ourselves whether um, the fact that we now have a New Testament means that we can dispense with the old. For those of you who like to use your time efficiently, that, that would be quite a, a big win in some ways, because pick up a Bible and actually three quarters of what you're holding is Old Testament. But what is the Old Testament and is it still worth our consideration and time now that the new has arrived? If you enjoy the material that we consider during this video, please feel free um, to subscribe to the channel. So similar videos are regularly uploaded. If there's any questions or comments which occur to you as we go through the material, please feel free to post uh, and somebody will get back to you. Let's just have some context then in terms of the structure of the word uh, of God. There are Old and New Testaments, both of which have four parts. The Old Testament um, contains five books of the law and then 12 um, books of historical record of God's dealings with the nation of Israel. Five books which contain the wisdom and the poetry literature of the nation of Israel and then 17 prophecies, which are messages that God sent the nation of Israel through his prophets. As far as the New Testament is concerned, we have four gospel records one history of the, um, the new church, the Acts of the Apostles, 21 letters which members of that church received, uh, and the book of Revelation. For those of you who like statistics, in all there are 66 books which make up the Bible, 39 of those are in the Old Testament. The, the Old Testament was um, 950 years there or thereabouts <clears throat> in the writing compared to only 50 years for the New Testament. There were 35 human authors involved in compiling the Old Testament, only eight or nine the new. And as you can see from the figures, the word count, the Old Testament really is the, the lion's share of, of the, um, the, the volume that we now call the Bible. Of course, the, the Bible contains uh, advice as to which bits of it are important. It was the Apostle Paul in AD 67 who wrote to his understudy Timothy that all scripture is inspired by God. So the Bible underlines the fact that whilst there are humans involved in this work, in fact, God was in overall charge. He was ensuring the quality uh, and the the, the quantity, the, he, he, we can be assured that what is uh, committed to paper or papyrus back then is what God wants us to know. It's what we need to know. Of course, it's intriguing when we think from Timothy's perspective, the, the young man who received this piece of advice. Uh, in AD 67, when he received this letter, the New Testament didn't exist. Um, Paul, Paul actually seems to acknowledge that a few verses previously to stating all scripture is inspired by God. He acknowledges that from a child, Timothy had known these sacred writings. Now, Timothy was born in AD 32 when none of the New Testament existed. 
the, the first letter of the New Testament, the, the book, uh, the Epistle of James, probably written in AD 45. Timothy was 13 years old by then. So it seems clear from Paul's writing that um, the scripture which he's referring to here is, in fact, the Old Testament. And yet it's inspired by God and is useful. So it, it would seem then that the, that the New Testament um, is not necessarily a replacement for the old. Why would the Old Testament be useful to Timothy? Well, of course, it would give him all sorts of context in terms of what he believed and understood as he learned from the Apostle Paul. If we open the Old Testament, we, we discover a, a, a series of um, useful pieces of information that, that put the work that's described to us in the Gospels into context. To start with, the Old Testament describes to us God's relation with humankind. Uh, the fact that we, we live on the planet Earth because God made the planet Earth. That, that's the very outset of the Old Testament, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth. And it's not so long in Genesis 1 still, where uh, we're told that God didn't just create the place we live in, God created us too. And when he created the human race, he, he made it a little bit different. Um, it had the ability to think a little bit like him, to, to entertain the idea that there might be a God out there who is dialing, trying to deal with us. Of course, the Old Testament just doesn't tell us um, how we got here or why we're here. It also tells us why the world in which we live is like it is. So Genesis introduces to us the concept of sin, the fact that God, whilst giving the human race a lot of freedom and some responsibility, still explained that there were consequences if the human race decided to do things which were contrary to his will, that they were told that should they eat of a particular tree in the Garden of Eden, they would die, that they would become mortal whilst they had been created immortal. As the Genesis record continues, it describes that that's exactly what happened. The human race decided to do what it wanted rather than what God wanted. And so they were told that having been created from dust to dust, they would also return. And the Genesis record continues to uh, elaborate that it wasn't just one mistake. Very quickly, it became clear that the human race was vulnerable to sin. Um, it couldn't resist sin. So by Genesis chapter 6, the time of Noah, God looks around in the world that he's created and sees that the wickedness of humankind was great and that, that's kind of all they were doing all the time. And so the Bible tells us why we are here, how we got here and why the world is like it is. The Bible quickly moves, though, to tell us that God did not give up on the human race, even if it was vulnerable to sin, which he is not. And so it's described how God continued his interaction with the human race and soon identified an individual with whom he could work. Abram was a man who had um, faith. He had the ability to believe what God was telling him and to act accordingly. And so Abram and men like him after him began to receive promises from God that God would, would um, act to restore the human race to, to a, a better position. 
Abram was promised, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name greater. And it wasn't just Abraham who got that promise. God continued to elaborate that, in fact, there was the potential in Abraham for all families of the earth to be blessed. And so we learn that God was able to deal with people who, who displayed faith and to work with them, even if they were vulnerable to sin and couldn't always help themselves but to do things that they shouldn't. As the Old Testament record continues then, it describes how God was planning to, um, to redeem the human race from the problem that, that it found itself in. And so the promises regarding God sending humankind his son begin to appear. Uh, and they appear in various different places and they explain that God was planning to send uh, the solution to the earth's problem uh, and it would be a solution which took various different parts. There were different tasks that needed to be performed. And so Zechariah, the prophet, foresaw that God would send a king. Zechariah had a, a very specific vision. Lo, your king comes to you triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so Zechariah looked forward to a time when God would send a king in this way. Because it wasn't just a king which the world needed. So if we look elsewhere... A servant was also required, somebody who would take on the role of, of doing the tasks which God required to be done so that the human race could be rescued from the predicament that, that it found itself in. In Isaiah, another prophet, we have these words, here is my servant whom I will uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him, he will bring forth justice to the nations and so uh, a servant was foreseen who would serve God but also would serve his fellow mankind as he worked to help them to to extricate themselves from the problem that they found themselves in the Old Testament prophecies continue this servant was going to take the form of a man Zechariah again Chapter six, this time, thus says the Lord of hosts, here is a man whose name is the branch. And yet this wasn't just going to be any sort of man. Because the Old Testament foresaw that this man would also be the son of God. I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. And so the Old Testament tells us how we got here why we are here, why the world is like it is, how God was able to deal with certain uh, members of the human race, despite the fact that they might not be perfect, and how he planned over thousands of years to send his son to deliver the solution that the human race needed. And when you open the pages of the New Testament, well, open the Gospel of Matthew, the very first few pages of the New Testament, it becomes instantly clear that there is a big connection between the new and the old. You look at the way that Matthew is written, the first few uh, verses of the Gospel of Matthew deliver to us a chronology. It's the, the, the human family from which the Lord Jesus hails. Uh, and there are 42 characters split into uh, three groups of 14. 
most of whom are named in the Old Testament. So we know them already. And we some of them, we have a lot of detail about who they were. Actually, when you look in more detail at this chronology Matthew provides, um, he, he links it with different groups. He, he links Jesus with um, the captives who came out of uh, captivity and returned to Israel in Nehemiah's time. He links Jesus back to King David, another faithful man who received promises because God could deal with him. And Matthew's genealogy links Jesus back to Abram, but the man of promise. And the Gospel of Matthew continues. Not only does it reference all of these characters as it begins the record of Jesus' life, throughout the Gospel of Matthew, 60 quotations from the Old Testament can be found. There's a very specific way in which Matthew references Old Testament as well. On 10 different occasions, we have these words in the record. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. And you can see in this instance, Matthew 21, Matthew is looking back to Zechariah, which we've already been to in this video. Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And time and time again, the Gospel of Matthew links back to the promises which had been made in the Old Testament of what God would do when he moved to provide the human race with a solution to the problems it found itself in. Because if you take a wider look at the New Testament, you find that actually Matthew sets a precedent which the rest of the New Testament continues. The New Testament as a whole contains around 280 direct quotations from the Old. As well as that, there are around 400 references to passages in the Old Testament, not direct quotations this time, but you see how much the New Testament looks back to that which had gone before. There are actually around 3,100 verses from the Old Testament which are quoted in the New. That's about 10% of the Old Testament record appears or reappears in the New. And Jesus follows that pattern. Of course, the Old Testament is Jesus' Bible. Uh, and he quotes from 24 of the 39 books of the Old Testament. And he does that on multiple occasions, around 80. Jesus actually fulfills 350 Old Testament prophecies in his life. So the connections between Old and New are um, very considerable. When you look at the four gospel records together, you also see that they, they work together in harmony, not just between the gospel records themselves, but also um, with the Old Testament. Remember that the Old Testament predicted that the solution God would provide would take multiple forms. It, it would be a king, it would be a servant, it would be a human being sent for all people. It would be the son of God. Actually, you look at the way in which God has caused the records of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John to be inspired. They highlight and emphasize this role or these roles that Jesus was going to perform. I'll just run you through it quickly. Matthew, it seems that Matthew focuses on the fact that God had promised to send a king. So the genealogy which Matthew provides us. Um, includes King David. 
Matthew tells us, he's the only record to tell us of the, the wise men who came and talked to King Herod at the time. And, and they, the question they asked him is, where is he that was born king of the Jews? So, so Matthew underlines the fact that what he's about to tell us, what he is recording us is the arrival of the king that had been promised in the Old Testament writings. Uh, and this theme continues and is developed throughout the gospel. Nearly all of Matthew's parables, records of the teachings of the Lord Jesus, begin with the same words, the kingdom of heaven is like. So Matthew gives us the context of a king um, in, a, uh, in a kingdom, dispensing the justice which um, the Lord God had sent him to do. There are 10 people who appear in Matthew's record who come worshipping Jesus. He, he was one worth worshipping as a king is. But that's just Matthew's take on it. Uh, when we get to Mark, the context is slightly different. Uh, and now Mark seems to focus on Jesus' role as a servant. So although Mark's gospel is the shortest of all the gospel records, in fact, it, contain, it contains more um, miracles than any other of the gospels. G Jesus working for and working with the people that he had come to help. There's an emphasis in Mark's gospel on preaching, the fact that Jesus was working to convey the good news that his father had sent him to deliver. Uh, and the way, even the way in which the gospel is written, emphasizes Jesus' work rates. Twelve of the 16 chapters of the gospel of Mark begin and, not very good English perhaps, and yet the, the words immediately, straightway, and the word and they continually repeat to give us the feel that Jesus was working hard and he was working all the time in the service which he came to deliver and you can continue to see the aspects of the work of the Lord Jesus emphasized and highlighted so Luke not so much emphasis on a king or a servant although Jesus was both Luke emphasizes the fact that this was a human being he gives us more detail about the birth of Jesus, about his childhood, the only record of Jesus as a child. At the age of 12, Luke describes how he went to the temple and how he began to interact with his human parents. Luke's genealogy goes right back to the first human being, Adam. Luke's the only gospel record who tells us that the shepherds came uh, to welcome Jesus at his birth. And the shepherds had been told by the angels, great tidings of joy for all people. That, that was the good news that was being delivered. This was uh, a human who was coming for all humankind. And intriguingly, Luke's parables, well, whilst the same subject material is in both Luke and Matthew, if, if Matthew phrases them, the kingdom of heaven is like, Luke's lost. Luke's parables tend to begin a certain man and so the same elements of teaching are, are phrased in different contexts in the fact that this was a man who had been sent by God to solve problems and yet he was the son of God and it's the gospel of John which labours that point and leaves us in no illusion at all in John chapter one we have the proclamation of John the Baptist this is the son of God. He continues a few verses later, we have seen the glory as of the only begotten of the father. When the gospel of John comes to sum up and explain why it has been penned, why God had in inspired it, we have these words, this gospel 
is written that you might believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And what we find then when we look at the gospel records in the context of the old, that they by no means contradict or supersede that which had gone before. In fact, it's the absolute opposite. The New Testament complements that which has gone before because it demonstrates how it was that Jesus fulfilled that which God had promised men like Abraham, men like King David. So we, we see those promises which have existed for hundreds, if not thousands of years, coming to fruition in the words that Jesus uh, delivered, in the things which he said. The, the gospel records describe how Jesus provided the solution to sin, that, that ultimately a, a perfect example of a human being was required so that a perfect sacrifice could be made. And the New Testament underlines how willing God was to save the human race, how much he was prepared to invest in delivering a solution, that he would send his only son and that he would stand by when his son was ill-treated, when his son um, was subject to the plans of, of wicked men who ultimately got control of him and saw to it that he was put to death at the hands of the Romans. And in the character and the person of the Lord Jesus, we see, we see the character of his father, but now it's laid before us in a human being, someone that we can begin to understand. And so whilst God introduced himself to all sorts of people in the Old Testament, we can get to know him better when we see his human son portraying some of God's qualities in a manner which is, is more, uh, in which we're more able to absorb. Of course, it, it has been said that whilst there might be lots of similarities between the Old Testament and the New, the God of the Old Testament and the New are incompatible. This is how one um, agnostic uh, puts it, the God of the Old Testament is utterly unlike the God uh, believed in by most practicing Christians. Um, you can read it on the screen for yourself. The idea is that um, the God of the Old Testament is, is incompatible with the way we understand him now, having witnessed the work of the Lord Jesus. He's biased, querulous, vindictive and jealous. And yet actually, when you look at um, what we are told about God in both the Old and the New Testament, well, the Bible instantly um, brings to our attention the fact that God is reliable, that he isn't a God who will change. And that's repeated in various different places. In the books of the law, we're told this, God is not a human being that he should lie or a mortal, that he should change his mind. Continues the prophets, I, the Lord, do not change. The New Testament picks up the same theme. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So the Bible message consistently is God is consistent. You, you can rely upon him. You might not be able to rely upon yourself, but you can rely upon him. And if we go looking for the qualities of God, 
well, some have said that the God of the New Testament is, is gracious and merciful and loving, whereas the God of the Old Testament is angry uh, and is dispatching justice and judgment all the time. And yet, actually, if we, um, if we look at how God describes himself, then there is consistency throughout the piece that these are words which another faithful man, Moses, was given. Moses wanted to know more about God. So God um, asked Moses to, to hide himself in the cleft of a rock and he, he passed by and proclaimed from in front of Moses what he was. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Yet by no means clearing the guilty but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This is the God who, after Moses' time, was going to clear the land of Israel that he had promised to Abraham of all sorts of nations who had no interest in him. And he says to Moses there that, that he, he will deal with the guilty. And there are consequences um, that must follow sin. And yet... When he comes to introduce himself, the emphasis is on his mercy and his grace and his love. The fact that he will forgive sin. And if that's how God is introduced to us in the law, well, intriguingly, almost the identical words appear in all four parts of the Old Testament record. So here's the history, uh, Nehemiah, the history of um, the nations who came back out of captivity. And in that record, we have these words, you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, almost an exact repeat of Exodus 34. And that re repetition is consistent. So in the Psalms, the, um, the wisdom and poetry uh, section, you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. And for completeness, Joel repeats the same message. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So, so when we get to the New Testament, perhaps one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible, John chapter 3, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And what we find is that John is stating there, not, not something new, not something that replaces that which had gone before, a, a change of direction or a change of philosophy. No, not at all. In fact, what John is doing is emphasising that now in sending his Son, God was moving to deliver that which he had already promised. And what God was doing was consistent with the mercy and the grace and the love and the forgiveness which he had proclaimed to, to all, all those who had gone before. I said that some have said, ah, oh, well, the God of the Old Testament is a God who dispatches justice and who is angry with sin. And yet, actually, when we look in the New Testament, that characteristic also comes through. 
In Hebrews 13, we have these words, the Lord disciplines those who he loves and chastises every child who he accepts. So there is a, an acknowledgement that, that God um, will, will challenge those who are seeking to follow him and thereby teach them and help them to develop. In Romans, we have an acknowledgement that God still gets angry with sin. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness. And actually then what we have in the Old Testament and the New is a, it's a consistent picture of the Lord Jesus. And for that reason, when Jesus himself addresses this question of whether the gospel records, the, the, the coming of um, the Son of God, the record of all he did and all he said, whether those things supersede um, everything that had gone before, he is categoric in stating that that is not the case. Do not think, Jesus said, that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And Jesus is clear then that, that what he is doing is not abolishing, wiping away that which has been. That The word fulfill, which he uses there, has the meaning uh, that Jesus came to deliver that which the Old Testament had been looking forward to. And that's not just in his first coming, in the, the, the life which is recorded in the four gospel records. In fact, the Old Testament contains prophecies of God's kingdom on earth, which will be established when Jesus returns to this earth. And that's another reason to spend time reading the Old Testament, for it contains prophecies of work which Jesus hasn't completed yet. So in fact, then, to understand the magnitude of what Jesus has accomplished, we, we need to appreciate what went before. Somebody tried to, to paraphrase it like this. To, to ignore the Old Testament is like making a new friend and never asking them about their past. And that's exactly what the Old Testament does. It provides the context to the one who came and proclaimed that he would be the friend of all those who, who followed him. And so to understand what Jesus accomplished, we, we need to appreciate how we got here and why. But we need to appreciate why the world is like the world is and why sin is such a problem and why we are vulnerable to it. We need to understand that for thousands of years, God has been seeking to work with the human race, even if they're sinful. And he's been doing that by looking for faithful people who would believe him in what he said and try to obey that which he asked them to do. And ultimately, in understanding more fully the, the life and the accomplishment of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to understand how committed God was to delivering a solution that he was prepared to send his only son to do something that no one else could. And whilst Jesus um, accomplished extraordinary things, still we need to understand that there is more 
to come when he returns to, to accomplish all things, just as he says there in Matthew 5 and verse 18. So hopefully we've been able to see there that the, the Old Testament, whilst it might be called old, is not something that we can dispense with. It's not something that is superseded, not something that contradicts the new, but rather it provides context for the new. In fact, without the Old Testament, it's very difficult to understand fully what Jesus accomplished when he came and thereby to, to understand how we should live our lives, to, to follow the example which he set. I hope you found this video useful. Um, as I said, if you did, then please feel free um, to subscribe to this channel uh, so that you'll be made aware of, of new material when it's posted. If I've, uh, anything I've said has um, conjured up a question for you or, or uh, something you want to comment on, please feel free to post uh, and somebody uh, will respond. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org if you enjoyed the episode then please share it with others until next time may god bless you in your studies and your walk towards god's kingdom amen